Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. I'm Brent Moore with Humphreys Moore Ranch in Box Elder, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are once again locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state of the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the recent cattle on feed report contained a big surprise and the market had a sharp reaction to it. We'll take a closer look at that report coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Ranchers in the Texas High Plains are being encouraged to begin using ionophores as a way to conserve their pastures. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about ionophores. Small grains are emerging in Texas, while corn and cotton harvests are moving right along this fall. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have a report on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas is planting onions and the start of the citrus harvest is here. We'll have those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. More cattle than expected were placed into feedlots in September, while marketings were down, causing total feedlot inventories to rise higher. USDA livestock analyst Shale Shagum takes a look at the cattle on feed report numbers. The number of cattle on feed on October 1st was just under 11.6 million head, which was about 1% above a year ago and would be the second highest October 1st inventory number since the series began in 1996. During September, approximately 2.2 million head of cattle were placed on feed, which was about 6% above a year ago. Feedlots marketed just under 1.7 million head during September, which was about 11% below a year ago. But when we adjusted for the fact that there was one less slaughter day in September this year compared to last year, markings were actually only about 6% below a year ago. This report was a unique one in that it contained information about the sex of cattle placed into feed yards, and it shows that cattle producers are not retaining heifers to rebuild cow herds. Heifer and heifer calves were about 1% above a year ago, and if we look at them as a proportion of the total number of animals uh, on feed on uh, October 1st, they were 40% compared to about 39.8% a year ago. 
we are probably again digging digging thoroughly deep into that into that pool of animals outside feedlots, and the fact that we are still looking at very high proportion of heifers on feed uh, would indicate that you know quite a bit of those animals are female stock that went into the into the feedlots. Shagam says drought and water availability is a big factor in cattle producer decisions right now, with forage shortages in several areas of the country. Milk production in Texas fell last month, while national production rose slightly. According to a new report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Texas dairies produced 1.33 million pounds of milk in September. That's down 13,000 pounds from the same time last year. National milk production was 17.5 million pounds, up slightly. USDA reports there were 635,000 dairy cattle in Texas last month, down 20,000 head from September of 2022. Those cows produced on average 2,095 pounds of milk, up 45 pounds from the same time last year. The national average is 1,960 pounds of milk per cow. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Early voting is now underway across Texas. Farm groups are pushing hard to pass the Proposition 1 Right to Farm constitutional amendment. So if you want to support that amendment, get out and vote now. Ranchers in the Texas High Plains are encouraged to use ionophores to conserve pastures. James Hunt has that story from Amarillo. In the cattle feeding business, the feed additives known as ionophores are widely used. For cattle on pasture, ionophore usage is not as common. However, as we talked about in yesterday's report, Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith is urging Texas High Plains ranchers to consider using ionophores as a way to extend the life of their grazing lands. I asked Dr. Smith what exactly ionophores are and how they work. Ionophores are one of the growth promoting technologies that we have and have had available to us as beef cattle producers for a considerable amount of time. The first ionophore that was approved for use in the U.S. has been on the market for almost 50 years now. In terms of what they are and what they do, think of them as selective antimicrobials that work against certain microorganisms in the rumen. And when the ionophores are delivered to cattle in the form of medicated feed, they work in the rumen to allow the animals to access more of the energy available in the forage they consume. And as a consequence of that, one of the things, especially when we look at using an ionophore in grass cattle, so pasture-based cow-calf production or stalker cattle, one of the consequences of that is a slight reduction in intake, but maintaining productivity. So same reproductive rates, same level of body condition. And so we get the same amount of productivity, but it requires less consumption. So less forage for the cattle to achieve that outcome. Now, the use of ionophores does come with certain safety guidelines and regulatory rules to follow. We'll discuss those things with Dr. Jason Smith of AgriLife tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Small grains are emerging across Texas. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at the latest crop statistics for the state. From the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Crop Progress and Livestock Condition Report for Texas, where seasonal temperatures recently continue to provide relief to crops and livestock over the state. Small grains are beginning to emerge across the state. Rain is still needed to help the crop progress in many areas in the Blacklands, 
wheat planting has been delayed due to Hessian fly concerns. In the Edwards Plateau, wheat planting did not progress much due to dry conditions. Winter wheat planted reached 62%, while winter wheat emerged hit 35%. On row crops in the northern high plains, corn harvest is nearing completion, while farmers wait to begin sorghum harvest. Corn harvest has hit 86%, sorghum harvested for grain at 92%. In the northern high plains, some producers are stripping cotton, and a few gin yards are beginning to receive some cotton modules and bales. To the southern low plains, where cotton harvest is expected to begin in the next few weeks, the Edwards Plateau cotton gins expect to begin ginning soon. In South Texas, cotton harvest is wrapping up. Overall, cotton bowls opening reached 82% for Texas, cotton harvested at 37%. Now to livestock ranges and pastures, some range and pasture conditions across the state have improved, while many regions in the uh, state of Texas uh, are still beginning to deteriorate due to a lack of rainfall. Range and pasture condition is rated very poor to poor. In the northern high plains of Texas, producers are weaning calves. Some livestock producers continue to supplement stock with hay. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Extreme South Texas is planting onions and harvesting citrus. Jim Hearn has an update from the Rio Grande Valley. Valley producers have started the harvest of citrus, of early oranges. Fruit sizes are smaller than normal this year, and that's due to the extreme hot temperatures of the summer. And we've also seen a lot more fruit scalding. That's also due to the intense sunlight. Growers have been on a two to three week irrigation schedule and in some cases still are not enough to keep the damage to a minimum. Now, with the easing of the temperature, producers are getting a little break, but we still need to keep those groves wet so that the fruit will continue to at least size up a little bit. Water issues are surfacing as the valley missed our usual heavy spring summer rains and the reservoir levels have continued their downward cycle. Falcon is now 8.9% full and with no general rains on the horizon, no doubt's going to head lower. Now the first two cool fronts came across South Texas but had very minimal rain and we do not uh, get those big inflows at Falcon. Water supplies for the spring 2024 crop year could be in jeopardy. Well, the planting of spring sweet onions has started. The harvest of fall vegetables continue, our cabbage, carrots, and salad greens. The sugarcane harvest, that's also set to begin relatively soon. For Farm Beer Roundup, this is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. A proposed rule change would affect deer hunters next season. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And prussic acid can be a big problem when that first frost arrives. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. 
Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. This is State Representative Dwayne Burns, and I'm here with my friend, Super Bowl champ, and Dallas Cowboy legend, Jay Novacek. You know, I've been a real cowboy my whole life, so I'm asking everyone to go out and vote for Proposition 1, the right to farm amendment that this guy, Dwayne Burns, actually wrote. Whether you're a cowboy or not, this is important to all Texans. We all need access to safe and affordable food in the future. Proposition 1 protects our family farms and ranches so they can grow our food right here in Texas. On November 7th, please head to the polls and vote for Proposition 1, the Food for Texas Amendment. Yeah, come on, Texas. Let's do it Jay's way. Vote for Prop 1 and then spread the word with your friends and family. Learn more about Proposition 1 at right2farmtexas.com. That's right, the number 2, farmtexas.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Prussic acid can be a big problem when the first frost arrives. Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Over the next month or two, we will likely get a frost, which can increase the levels of nitrate and prussic acid in the forage. Not all forages accumulate nitrate and prussic acid, but all sorghum grasses, including Johnson grass, can accumulate these toxins. Dr. Ben Beckman from the University of Nebraska Extension indicates at Drovers.com that waiting five to seven days after a frost can limit risk for both nitrate and prussic acid poisoning. However, that does not decrease the risk completely. Following a frost, sorghums have broken cell membranes that allow the formation of prussic acid. Prussic acid is a form of cyanide released from a compound called durin that is naturally occurring in sorghum species. When ingested and broken down by the digestive system, the cyanide is released, which is deadly in high amounts. Monogastric species like horses and pigs can become poison, but are not as susceptible as ruminants. The concern about using the five to seven day non-grazing rule is that each time a new part of the plant is frozen, the five to seven day timer for being safe to graze starts over until the entire plant has been killed. This can make grazing these plants difficult in the late fall in Texas as our weather is so unpredictable. With warm weather, new shoots and especially regrowth on previously frost-damaged plants has the highest concentration of prussic acid. If you notice regrowth on the plants, grazing should not be allowed until the new regrowth is at least 15 inches tall or the plant is completely killed by freezing. Prussic acid is not a problem in hay as it dissipates with time, whereas nitrate does not dissipate and remains toxic long term. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A proposed rule change would affect Texas deer hunters next season. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Texans have just a few more days to weigh in on a proposed statewide deer carcass disposal proposal. If implemented, the proposal would give Texas deer hunters three options to dispose of unused deer parts. The first is to transport the parts directly or indirectly to a landfill permitted by the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality to receive such wastes. The second option is to bury the unused parts at least three feet and then cover it with at least three feet of earthen material. The third option is to return the unused parts to the area where the deer was harvested. Alan Kane, Big Game Program Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says the proposed rule is designed to reduce the risk of inadvertently spreading chronic wasting disease to unaffected areas of the state. 
research shows and we know that prions, the infectious agent, what causes CBD is found concentrated in nervous tissue, in lymphatic tissue. So lymph nodes, spinal cord, brain, things like that. That's where you're going to find heavy concentrations of these prions. And so if you have a positive animal, CBD positive animal somewhere and you haul it from wherever you harvested that deer to somewhere else that it's not known to have CBD, we don't know it's there, then you run the risk of potentially introducing infectious carcass parts if you just haphazardly throw those out in the back pasture. Well, now you potentially exposed other deer out there in your area around your house or wherever you live to these infectious carcass parts, which is a potential way for that disease to spread. And so by managing carcass disposal, we mitigate that risk or at least attempt to mitigate that risk as much as possible. The key here is we don't want CBD to show up in areas where it's not known to exist. And part of the issue with chronic wasting disease, there is no cure. It's not like a virus or a bacteria. This is a little misfolded prion protein that causes other proteins to misfold in the brain and essentially creates holes in the brain, which leads to all kinds of neurological issues and problems with the health of the deer. And ultimately, it's fatal. You can comment on the proposal through November 1st on the TPWD website. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission is expected to consider the proposed rule at its meeting November 1st and 2nd. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It is time to check the markets. We'll be back with a look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. That's right, and there's a huge digital divide in our state. There are still large parts of rural Texas that have little to no access to high-speed internet. I'm State Representative Dwayne Burns. And I'm State Representative Trent Ashby. We're here to ask you to vote for Proposition 1 and Proposition 8. I wrote Prop 1 to protect your right to farm and ranch. It will prevent the abuse of regulatory power, protect the backbone of our rural economy, and ensure safe and affordable food for all Texans. And I wrote Proposition 8, which will create the Broadband Infrastructure Fund to address important upgrades for public safety and provide resources for broadband access in rural hospitals and schools. Let's head to the polls November 7th and vote for Prop 1 and Prop 8. Political advertising paid for by Texas Farm Bureau and Texas Broadband Now PAC. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. After that big, huge sell-off we had in the cattle complex on Monday, the cattle market tried to regain some of those losses Tuesday. However, we didn't have much luck. Now, about midday, we had some strong triple-digit gains going in both live and feeder cattle, but we couldn't hang on to those, and we ended up with a mixed market on the close. October live cattle up $1.75 at 180 even. December up 27, 178.62. February live cattle down 12 at 180.85. 
October feeder cattle up at dollar eighty, two thirty nine forty two. November feeders down thirty seven, two thirty five forty two. With January feeder cattle down eighty five cents, two thirty four eighty five. Cash fed cattle market quiet on Tuesday. No bids or asking prices to report. Boxed beef prices were higher. Choice up at dollar twenty one, three oh five seventy five. Select up two twenty nine at two eighty three thirty one. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My guest here in the alleyway at the auction is Doug Bass, Cattleman's Brenham. Doug, how'd your sale turn out Friday? Had a good sale, Mr. Larry. We ended up with 1,293 head of cattle. Uh, market looked pretty steady on Packer cows. I think it could have been a tad cheaper on the calf market this week. I didn't see a whole lot of difference, but I've definitely seen a little. Walk the pens with me. Yes, sir, on your weigh-in cows, thinner, lower-yielding cows, 55 to 68, medium-flesh cows, 70 to 85, better high-yielding cows, 89 to 101, lower-yielding bulls, 92 to 108, better high-yielding bulls, 110 to 116. Uh, stocker cows, we didn't have any pairs or bred cows, bring anywhere from 900 to 1,400. The calf market, like I said, it, it was definitely very good. Uh, uh, it was a little harder to sell them this past week. Board was down a little bit, actually limit, I think, two days. Three-weight steers, 240 to 315, heifers, 230 to 317, three to four-weight steers, 235 three to 322 heifers 220 to 317 four to five weight steers 220 to 312 heifers two dollars to 307 five to six weight steers two dollars to 259 heifers 190 to 250 six to seven weight steers 195 to 258 heifers 180 to what was the count? 1293. Now, uh, what do we anticipate for Cattleman's Brenham this Friday? Got some cattle lined up, had a few calls. Uh, expecting a little rain towards the end of the week, so we're really hoping that we do get some rain. That could affect the run in some ways, but uh, we definitely got some cattle lined up. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Doug Bass. Yes, sir. You can call me on the cell, 979-877-4454, or at the office, 979-836-3621. Doug, we appreciate you. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Terry. Y'all have a good week. And neighbor, you have a good week, too. Be sure to come join us each day on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network for Walking the Pins. You're listening to us right this second on Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now. Raleen Hogs finished mixed in Tuesday's trade. The nearby December was up 20 cents, 66.37. February Hogs down 72 at 69.47. Class 3 milk was mixed as well. The nearby October up 2 cents, 16.88 a hundredweight. November milk down 16 at 17.67 a hundred. The cotton market put in a lower close, a strong dollar, and collapsing energy markets both weighing on cotton prices. Traders also keeping close eye on the weather forecast. The most recent forecast called for above normal chances of rainfall across much of the U.S. cotton belt, including right here in Texas. West Texas expected to face heavy rain episodes over the next seven days. And that is getting traders' attention right now. We closed out with the December contract down 80 points, 82.93. March cotton down 78 at 84.68. May cotton down 91, 85.57. Grain markets were lower all day, both corn and wheat in the red. That's how we closed it out on Tuesday. December corn down six and a quarter, 484 a bushel. March down six at 498. May corn down six, 506 a bushel. Same thing on hard and soft wheat. December Kansas City wheat down seven and three quarters, six sixty-three a bushel, with December wheat down six and three quarters, five eighty and a half. 
In the energy markets, December natural gas was up five cents, three thirty-two. December West Texas crude down a dollar sixty-five at eighty-three eighty-four a barrel. The financial markets were higher on Tuesday afternoon. The Dow up two thirty-nine at thirty-three thousand one seventy-six. The Nasdaq up hundred five points, thirteen thousand one twenty-four. The S&P up twenty-nine at four thousand two forty-seven. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.